Hey listeners, thanks for tuning in today. Quick warning before we get started. The podcast episode may cover sensitive topics, including but not limited to suicide, mental health illness, and grief. Your advice to refrain from listening to the podcast if you may be adversely impacted to these topics. Thanks so much. We'll get on with the show. Welcome to the Soup is On podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Cook, superintendent of Ben Lapine Schools. On the Soup is On podcast, we talk about all things public education, specifically as they relate to our Ben Lapine Schools and the greater community here in Central Oregon. Today, we are taking on part two of our series on student mental health. Uh, If you recall, in the last episode, we talked with two of our school counselors, Kelsey Jekyll and Christine Ewing. In that episode, we discussed kind of the foundations and the basics of the programming that we provide and have available to our students in our community here in Central Oregon. Uh, In this episode, we're going to go a little different direction. We're very excited to connect with the local program here, Youthline, one of the local resources available to our students and youth across the country who want to support and help with mental health. Uh, One of the most remarkable aspects of this resource is that the call line is actually staffed by trained youth, oftentimes our very own students who offer peer-to-peer support. And I'm very excited to get to talk with the program assistant director, Mel Butterfield, today, as well as talk with two student volunteers who are going to walk us through the kinds of calls they are receiving and why this work is so important to them. So first of all, we're going to start off with Mel. Mel, we are so glad to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. So Mel, first off, Give us a little bit of background, give us a little bit of information of how you came uh, to do this work, what drew you into this field, um, what particularly happened to create uh, this program and the resource, and how this has come into being. It's my understanding that we've had a local call center here in the region since 2018. I came on with Youthline in 2018. We actually didn't have our call center until um, January of 2019. So, but I had youth volunteers that I was working with that were doing outreach, were going out and doing events and things like that. But I think before we talk about that, it's, it's so important to talk about Youthline as a whole is this remarkable program that's been available as a free confidential resource to youth across Oregon and the United States for the last 25 years, which is a part of where my personal passion comes from is that I have worked with high-risk youth for the last decade of my career and had no idea it was a resource. So how I accidentally fell fell into it and getting into the program is kind of creating some of my passion too, is that we have to, as the adults that are, are working in professions that have ongoing contact with youth, have to have it as a priority to make sure that our youth know that there are things that they can do to reach out for help, to normalize that, to destigmatize that it, just asking for help around our mental health is as important as going to a doctor if you have a cold, a flu, a broken bone. And being able to work with youth that have that exact same passion is such a cool opportunity and that you'll get the opportunity to meet with them as well. So Mel, you mentioned something we talked about in the last episode that we had, and that is the stigma that's associated with uh, just even mental health resource mm-hmm. quests and, and just reaching out. And I'd just love, like to hear from you, how do you help uh, support the students that come in and work for Youthline and how, they, how do they address that? Because it does feel like uh, we're talking about mental health issues now more readily and more publicly today than it was even... Uh, a few years ago, and definitely a much different attitude about it since when I was a teenager many, many, many years ago. 
Yeah. How do we support our volunteers and contacts, I think, are very similar and separate, right? That we have the benefit and the blessing to work with youth volunteers who are passionate about the narrative that is mental health and changing what that looks like, right? That truly this generation is going to take it and run with it. And they are working every day to make sure that youth know that it's okay to reach out for help. And I think it's important to talk about Youthline as a perspective is that it's very different than a quote-unquote typical crisis line. Those typical crisis lines, you have to be in high acuity crisis and a safety issue in the moment. Youthline is different and that you can reach out and talk to one of our youth about anything that's happening. You could just be having a bad day. Maybe you failed a test that was hugely important and you're freaking out about what that looks like. Maybe you didn't do well in a sporting event and, and maybe you're worried that that's going to affect your scholarships. Maybe you have so much pressure that you feel like is on top of you with school, family, trying to get all of these, these uh, like commitments and things done in a timely manner and you don't know how to manage what that looks like. You can call about anything. So So it's anything from top to bottom, right? We do have youth that reach out that are talking about suicide and they're talking about really high acuity crisis level calls. And we have youth that are reaching out that are like, I'm super mad at my sister right now. She said some really awful stuff to me. That quote unquote typical crisis line will likely push off um, those non-acuity, those non-high acuity calls because they do have to focus on on the safety of, of the folks who are reaching out. So we have the benefit of being able to kind of fill a gap, if you will, where we can talk to anybody. And I think that's a difference in, in what youth are taught about crisis lines. They are often taught about crisis lines in the same umbrella that 911 is used, right? That you do not call 911 unless you are like in serious trouble and you need help like right then immediately. And I get why parents and adults and administrators and staff from schools teach that way um, because we want to make sure that the people who get the help or need the help get the help that they need. But ours is really different. You can reach out about whatever. And I think that's helping change that narrative where you don't uh, you don't have to just hold on to a thing. You don't have to carry it by yourself, that you have a ton of resources out there. And we're just one of them. We're not all of them. Um, and we can help as a conduit to make sure that if we aren't the best people to help talk to you about a thing that might be happening in your life, that we can look up some stuff for you, for sure. So you just gave a, a whole plethora of examples of, of ways that students access this, and not just students, but youth in general, how they can access this support, under what circumstances they would do that. So what do they do? If somebody's listening and thinking, hmm, I would want my, my family member that I'm concerned about to, to be able to realize this opportunity, what does that look like? How does it work? What if someone's like, I'm really mad at my little brother, and they want to call and they don't have somebody at home to talk to and they wanted to call, what would that, how does that go? I think something that's super helpful that if you're in the Ben Lapine School District and you're middle school and above, that we have a contract with the Ben Lapine School District that on the back of every single one of your student IDs, our information is on the back of it. So youth can call, text, chat, and email, and they get a hold of our service, if you will. That doesn't mean that they're just getting a hold of our Bend youth volunteers. They could be getting a hold of our Portland youth volunteers, but they're getting a hold of Youthline. So that's a lot of uh, quick and easy notes that we can add to the show notes for our listeners. So let's let's go into the process a little more. Somebody picks up the phone, calls. 
they're going to get access to a student volunteer. And I want to emphasize volunteer because we have, we're going to talk with a couple of our student volunteers here in a little bit, but they're, they're actually giving their time to support this service. How do you get people involved in that? How do you bring people into that circle? And we just walked by a room in which people are currently being trained to do this. And the room was full of people. Yeah. We train four times a year. They have to be during school breaks because we can't train the amount of hours that we have to do um, to get them trained uh, and certified in all of the things that they have to be before they're qualified to be on the lines. Our youth volunteers give, they put in 63 hours of training before they can even um, provide the services that we're, uh, that we're asking them to do. So the fact that they're willing to come in as teenagers, sit down on a school break, like currently this is winter break, um, we go all the way up to Christmas Eve right before Christmas, um, and they are giving 60 plus hours of their own time so that they can come in and do shifts each week to help support youth who are reaching out who might be struggling with whatever that might be. So the first component of that we recruit all of the time for all of those trainings so we have a winter training a spring break training two in the summer one right after school in June one right before school starts in August we are always taking applications for those trainings we always tell and you hear me say this often is that if you're the youth that has friends that come to you with all of their stuff you're already doing it come in and join us and let us train you and give you some different knowledge around what that might look like give you some different vocabulary and how to support some other people you're already doing the work and it's a amazing what our youth do. Um, And then that goes into this other section of we know from data and research and all the things, but also we know because teens tell us that they go to each other. They go to each other with questions. They go to each other for support. They go to each other first, and then they'll typically go and find an adult that they trust or that they can have a conversation with. We're capitalizing on that. If we know that youth are talking to youth, then we're asking, please reach out to somebody. Don't carry all of the things that you might be going through by yourself, you don't have to. Let us do that with you. And that's what our our youth talk about too, that they're like, I want to help people. Maybe they've been there. Maybe they've had their own lived experience. Maybe they have had friends and and family that they've supported. And that's what pushes them into being able and wanting to give back to this amazing work and program that they do. We couldn't do this work without them. I think two parts to my next question. Number one is when it's a teenager, when it's a youth that is providing um, guidance and support, I I imagine there is a risk for uh, just over empathizing or getting pulled into something that's challenging. And secondly, um, how do do our, our teens know when this is moving beyond my 60 hours of training and I need to call somebody in and be a a bigger uh, or more highly trained resource. I I imagine both of those things are kind of balancing just about every phone call potentially could be. I think a part of what we do here that's important, I get asked this by parents all the time, especially parents of my volunteers of, well, how are you gonna make sure that my kid is safe in doing this work? This is hard for adults to do but you're asking my teenager to do it. That's a valid question. And I think we have a bunch of built-in protections across the board. So our youth are never doing this from their own technology. They're not doing it from home. They're never by themselves. They're always supervised by master's level clinicians. And it's not because we don't think that they have the skill level to do the work. Truly the teen volunteers that I have do 
work on a level that is comparable to clinicians that I know. And they're still teens. So we have to make sure that they aren't put in a situation where even if they could do amazing work with this one caller, that if it's too high acuity, we'll take that for them because we want to protect them as well and their mental health and their ability to be able to walk out at night and feel okay, right? So they're always supervised. They're always on site doing the work that they're doing. They don't keep high acuity calls. So those ones they know from day one in training, we talk about, could you do this? Do this? Could you support this individual? Absolutely. We won't let you. And that's because we have to be able to protect you. And that's also how we talk about, this is why we have to do it on site, that we don't want you supporting people in social media. We don't want you supporting people face-to-face in school. That's why we're really careful about how they self-identify, that they're volunteering, they use aliases on the lines, they don't use their own names, so that they aren't put in a situation where they don't have our support and that they're doing something on their own. Not that they couldn't, but that we make sure that there's a ton of safety policies that are put in place. And then that puts that folds into another part of it where we have built-in debriefs before they come on shift. Maybe today is not the day. Maybe they had their own stuff happening. And if that's going on, don't work today. (laughs) Maybe they just want to be here because it's a cool group of, of youth to hang out with and you get to do admin stuff. Like help me do some filing, help me do some other things. They have debrief opportunities during and after a contact. We're watching all of this stuff in real time. Um, So if they have questions during a contact, if they have questions after, they have debrief opportunities within the office. We can step out in the hall, have conversations, and after. So once they go home, they all know that if there is a pretty heavy uh, contact that may have come in, we'll text them the next day and check in and be like, hey, sometimes stuff doesn't really register till the next day. How's it going? And just see how they're doing. Their parents all know this too. We'll contact them, not their parents, but we'll contact the youth directly. We'll tell their parents that that's how we're communicating with them. um, That we, and our kids know that too, that they can, if something is going on, even if it's not here, that they have us as a resource as well. So we have a lot of built-in processes that encourage the safety of not only our contacts who are reaching out for support, but all of the youth that are doing the work too. So that, I just imagine that that's emotionally very powerful, very connected. I'm sure you can share a story with our listeners about how an example of one of these calls and how it maybe was particularly meaningful for um, one of our youth line volunteers. I feel like all of our all of our contacts are meaningful, so it's hard to pull one out that's just one that sticks out. I think, um, for me, all of them are. I think it's so wonderful to be able to watch from day one of training to the work that they do on the lines, to be able to sit here and watch the confidence grow, and not only the the, the volunteers who are talking to to you through a prog- through a problem or whatever might be going on, but also the contact and the caller's confidence that we're providing autonomy. They get to be empowered in their own decision making on both sides, um, and being able to support that and watch the growth is amazing. So I want to I want to change trajectory just a little bit. Um, we've been been focusing a lot on the volunteers. I'm curious as to how you see your role in supporting this work and and how that functions and you know do you do you think of yourself as a boss as a as a, a supervisor as a coach as a you tell us definitely not a boss. <laughs> I think, and I tell the youth this all the time too, that that truly my job and my objective is to uplift their voice. That if they feel like they're silenced in any way, then I'm not doing my job. 
if they feel like they aren't getting the support that they need, that I'm also not doing my job. That no one needs to hear my voice. That that's not the important quality in this. And that's not why this program works. It's their voice. It's them being able to get to the podium. It's them being able to share their passion about this this project, the work that they do, uh, and and being able to really show people, and, I, and I'm going to say adults, to show adults that these are articulate, passionate group of youth that are gonna like I said at the very beginning they are gonna run with this that they're they're showing and sharing that mental health and mental wellness is just as important as your physical wellness and they're rocking it so I think mine is just to stand in the background and to be an adult when adult things like if they need somebody to kind of bully the other adults into giving them the space to say the thing but to make them have space like they get to walk up and take all of that, take the space that they want and deserve. They do a fantastic job at that. They teach me stuff every day. That's a strong testament, Mel. Thank you so much. And thank you for uh, supporting this work here and just the, the providing the guidance and, and, and uh, resources necessary to help our youth help our community. Yeah, thank you for having me. Okay, so now we are here with two of our Youthline volunteers and we're so excited you could join us. Uh, and learn more about how this process has gone for you and the efforts that you put into this. Let's start with introductions, first of all. Give us your first name and the school where you attend and just a little bit about each of you and how you got involved in Youthline. I'm Jordan. Um, I am a junior at Ben Senior High School and I got involved through Youthline um, through my psychology teacher who told us about this opportunity and then COVID hit and so I had a lot of free time to come to the training and I've been volunteering for almost a year and a half. My name is Kalia, I am a junior at Ben Senior High and I got involved in Youthline through my school counselor. She was saying that Youthline needed more volunteers and thought I would be, you know, really good at like talking to people and all that. So, and then I, I didn't have time to go to a couple trainings because I've just been really busy. And then when I finally had a chance to go to my first training, I fell in love with Youthline and I love volunteering here. It's really amazing. It is really amazing. Yeah. And Kalia, how long have you been uh, volunteering for Youthline? I've been volunteering for about half a year now. Yeah. Great. Okay, so I'd love to hear this answer from both of you. Um, why does student mental health, uh, why is that issue important to you and how does that uh, support the work that you're doing here. With our mental health, I notice that it's it's invalidated quite a bit by adults and by our parents and teachers and sport coaches and our mental health really isn't taken seriously. On and off the line, people tell me like they hear phrases like your life isn't that hard, you have it easy, there's nothing to be sad about or what phrases adults tell youth, and it's like, okay, that's very problematic because we're gonna grow up and we're gonna be like, oh, my mental health doesn't matter. And then it's gonna lead to a cycle of like, not being able to talk about your mental health, which is very bad. And then um, I did some research the other day and a statistics report by the CDC done in September from the years 2007, 2009, and then comparison to 2016 to 2018, Adolescent and young adult suicide rates increased, and then the U.S. average increased by 47.1%, while Oregon nearly doubled that number with a 79.3% increase. And this is so alarming because I never realized that Oregon was ranked number two out of 50 for um, the highest teen suicide rates in the country. 
and we just need to fix that. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, those are all like really good points. I would say that youth mental health is so important in general, but also to me personally because it's so widespread and we don't talk about it very much. Like what Kalia was saying with like the invalidation and also some of the common phrases that are used to like talk about mental health are things like just be happy or you don't have anything to be upset about or like what's wrong. And sometimes it's not an issue, a lot of the times it's not one specific issue, it can be like biological. It can be from our circumstances, it can be from our past, and there's so many reasons that one can like struggle with mental health, and we need to embrace all of those reasons rather than like deciding which ones are valid and which ones are not. I would also say we live in a very like competitive society, like a lot of things are competitions. There's a lot of pressure to be the best, whether that's go to the best college, be the best at your sport, have the most friends which causes a lot of anxiety and stress, and especially like as we go into our junior year. There's so much stress with schoolwork and sports and thinking about your future. So a lot of my friends and my family and just like people I know in general are so stressed, which is leading to a lot of anxiety and depression. So I'm seeing it a lot more now, which is one of the reasons why Youthline is so important to me because Youthline is taking such like big steps to help people with the ge with general stress and anxiety and just like general mental health stuff as well. So it sounds to me like both of you are compelled to this because you feel like you can make a difference and that you feel like that whether you've got adults that are supportive of kind of talking about mental health and believe that you can be a resource, or you've got people telling you, ah, it's easy for you, you don't really know and understand how hard it is. Both of those have been motivators for you, it sounds like. Is that accurate? Yeah, you got it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, so Mel shared with us earlier in the podcast that the training is pretty intensive and is over 60 hours. Um, Jordan, I would just love to know, what was that training like? What Did you go into it with preconceived ideas, or was it a complete shock and surprise, or was it what you expected? I would say it was not what I expected, but also some things I expected. It was, uh, it was very intense, like what Mel said. It was like 62 hours. It was in the height of COVID, June 2020, and it was also during a huge heat wave, and the air conditioning was broken. So we had to do a lot of our training outside, actually. We pretty much only were inside for the things that were necessary, like Zoom meetings with um, officials for training. Um, but we did a lot of it like near the river and at a park, and we practiced role plays outside, which I'm sure was awkward for bystanders walking by, but it's okay because we learned a lot and it was a great experience. But back to what you were saying about what I expected, I think I walked into it expecting complete seriousness, hard topics, just like days that lasted forever because they were long days they were eight hours so I expected it to be heavy I guess you could say but then during the trainings I made such incredible friends and all the people there were so nice and supportive and I think part of what made it so great is that we all could laugh about things and have great conversations even if it was like difficult topics which made it a lot easier to get through the training. I totally agree with what you said that's how my training went, except it wasn't in the height of COVID. There was no heat wave and the air conditioning was working. <laughs> and, and I did have an idea that, oh man, like I'm not gonna like this. It's like eight hours a day. Like I can't sit down for that long. <laughs> and it was Absolutely. Just, and I thought I was gonna be bored out of my mind. Don't tell Mel I said that, but she's gonna listen to this anyway. <laughs> and, but really like it went by so fast because 
even when we were talking about serious topics like what Jordan said like we still found a way to like lighten up and loosen up and have fun and make these connections with Mel, Molly and other people in my training group. It was really fun experience. It was. One of the things that I didn't expect was the role plays that we did um, to simulate what you're going to experience on the line. We do a lot of role plays which was terrifying at first. <laughs> like as someone who had never talked about someone's mental health problems to them specifically it was so nerve-wracking for Mel to be like all right Jordan someone's gonna call and you're gonna talk to them that was terrifying but the more we did it the more easy it felt and then by the time we started like actual shifts I felt so prepared to do it so so you both are veterans at this now and you both are have done this for some time do you find yourself using these skills in the like with friends and siblings and others. Kalia, has it has it changed how you function in the world? It really has affected me in a good way. Like I notice I become a lot more of an observer. Whereas before, like my ma- my mindset was merely just like focused on myself. Like I really like I would see people but I wouldn't actually see them. And then with the training and then working shifts, I really noticed myself becoming a lot more, a lot more introverted, I suppose, than whereas before I was like, yay, like walking through the hallway, you know, doing whatever. And then now I feel like when I walk through like I hall, right? And then I see all these people, I feel like I really see them. And I, I'm aware of the signs now. I have actually um, reached out to a couple of people before and like, because I noticed the signs, I'm like, hey, like, how are you doing? And most of the time, they've, they have had instances where they were having a bad day and they needed someone to talk to. So I feel like that made me, like, I was like, wow, like, I, I helped someone. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think being a volunteer here for the past year, in addition to the training, has, like, completely changed who I am as a person, like, for the better. Totally what Kalia was saying. I definitely observe more and I notice more how someone's feeling and the way they project that. But I would say I've become more extroverted because of it. And I now feel like I can talk to people about like anything really, like nothing someone says can surprise me after the work I do here. So which makes normal conversations a lot easier. And then the empathy part of this work just makes it so easy to have conversations and relationships with people. I've also like reached out to people just because I notice like, oh, they're not doing very well. And it leads to these amazing conversations, which I never would have had if I hadn't have done work here. And with my siblings, like when they're bothering me, instead of getting upset, I'll be like, tell me more about that. Like words that diffuse the problem rather than like make it more of a big deal, which is just like one of the little things that you find like really helped me with. So tell me a time in which one of these calls really hit home or you felt like you made a huge impact or you made a difference in that particular caller's experience or something that just sticks with you. Jordan, can you share one? Absolutely. Um, the one that comes to my mind whenever I think about a time I've like made a difference is when I had this over an hour long phone call with this girl who was struggling with things that I had struggled with or had experience with friends who'd struggle with and just everything she said, there was so much emotion behind it and so much like deep pain and sadness that hadn't been addressed and she had been bottling it all up for years like maybe even her whole life and this was the first time she ever talked about it and by the end she was crying and it was just we got so much out there that it was like very helpful for her to just even get it all out but we talked about her parental issues 
She had a lot of stress and anxiety relating to school. She had relationship and friendship troubles, and it was just so much going on in her life that she needed to talk about. She also had problems with the church and like religious issues, which isn't really talked about very much um, at Youthline. Like I don't get calls about that very much, um, so it really exposed me to like a different side of things. I learned a lot from talking to her, and by the end of the call, we had made some future plans for her because I was worried that she was maybe suicidal. She had been using a lot of vocabulary that indicated that she maybe wanted to take her own life. But by the end, we were making future plans for her, and she had all these ideas of things she wanted to do with her life, which showed that she really had hope for the future. And I think her talking to me made a huge difference in like showing her where the hope could be for her future and where like the light at the end of the tunnel was. You both have demonstrated so much care and empathy for this work and for the people that are reaching out. Now I'd like you to think a little more about adults and what adults need to hear from you all regarding, I don't know if I want to say generationally, but I definitely want to say you have the voice right now and you have a chance to speak to our listeners. What do adults need to hear from you two about the state of mental health or at least what your perspectives are about the student mental health and the state of it right now as we're trying to all navigate this pandemic and uh, how we can best support you and others uh, of youth as they try to navigate this. Jordan? I definitely have thoughts on this. Um, Our generation, uh, what you were saying, like, you don't want to say generationally, but it's just a different era growing up. Like, my generation has grown up in the social media era where everyone has cell phones, information is so widespread. It's so different than when our parents or grandparents were growing up. And along with the differences is that there's so much talk about mental health now, which is amazing. And, like, there still needs to be work done. But the fact that people are opening up about it, like on social media or like in movies and like it's normalized now is so great because it's just one of the stepping stones to getting to that place where mental health can be something we talk about and address before it gets like such a big problem. So I would say the biggest thing for parents and just administrators, people who work with youth but aren't youth is high expectations. Um, our generation, so much is asked of my generation. like college has become so competitive there's definitely like a picture perfect way you should be that we perceive whether if we're told that or if it's in the movies or if it's just something that we feel is expected of us we're expected to do well in school and manage our time well Um, we're supposed to get into college there's all these crazy stressors on us and then with the global pandemic that has happened during like our crucial yeah like our crucial shaping years and going back to school after a pandemic has been so difficult for so many people and I think that needs to be thought about by parents I guess what I'm trying to say is that we need to be considerate and give grace to the people who are coming back from a pandemic and also just like being students in general and acknowledge that there's so many expectations we have that we're supposed to meet and we can't meet all of them because that's where a lot of my friends and my anxiety comes from is not meeting these expectations that are forced on us. Kalia, how about you? I totally agree with what Jordan said. Like, Adults need to have a lot more patience with us because we were secluded for most of our crucial years. Like being at home and like not getting the social interaction. It's been hard for a lot of people like coming back like a lot of people are feeling more overwhelmed than usual, a lot more anxiety, like being around a bunch of people and like because they're not used to that. 
So adults just need to really be more empathetic and compassionate listeners because like what I said before, like they like dismiss our mental health problems. I'm like, you have it easy. You're only in high school. It's like, yeah, we're in high school and we have feelings too. Like we're not robots. <laughs> and like they just need to really take the time and adopt an empathetic approach to navigating our mental health. Definitely. So one of the things we're, we're finishing up these podcasts with now, especially during this time of the season, is just the, the, the following question. What is giving you hope right now? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask first, I'm going to ask Mel first uh, to answer that question. What's giving you hope right now, Mel? The youth that I work with. That I think there is a lot of information in media, social media, TV, even in, so, in social media, what that looks like, right? That teens aren't doing well and that they can't do well. There's kind of this narrative that, that there's some, some Armageddon thought behind it, right? I think that we all should be concerned for everybody, but we have amazing youth that have so much passion about the work that they do and the hope that's in that, right? Some of their just basic hope is, I talked to a contact today that was distraught when they first got on the phone and 15 minutes later they said thank you and that we could get a hold of them again or that they would reach out if they felt like they didn't have the resources they needed or the help or the support or that they couldn't be safe. That's amazing. So this, being able to work with teens who are willing to give their time in support of other people, I think is so powerful. That gives me hope every day. So what's giving you hope right now? Jordan, you first. I would say what's giving me hope right now is the prospect of a future without like COVID-19 affecting it as much. Um, I feel like 2019 and 2020 was just the lowest we could go. So it's only up from here. I've also been dealing with a lot of stress from school. Um, I play lacrosse and just a lot of stuff that's going on in my life. So taking this break from school um, as we go into the new year is just, that gives me a lot of hope to be able to take a rest from just go, 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 go all the time and some time for some peace, I guess. Also something I remembered that has really stuck with me as something that adults could do better is not just talking about mental health, but really listening and trying to think about it from a youth's perspective because a lot of the problems that come between the two generations in talking about mental health is that adults don't always understand, but they can understand through listening. Clea, how about you? I agree with that. The break is so wonderful because it gives us all us students a breather from the everyday school like life. Where it's like Jordan said, it's like go, go, go constantly like and then another thing that's giving me hope right now is people my age and young adults have the ability to talk about current world issues, whether it be regarding climate change, mental health, black lives, women's rights, and all that. Like, the way we have, like, the way our generation has the ability to speak out and have the willingness and courage despite backlash is amazing, and that really gives me hope. And I am so lucky to be part of Youthline because I never had a platform to speak about mental health, whereas now I do. And I think it's just a wonderful opportunity to do events like this. Wow, folks. Uh, I think that's a great place to close for today. I'm just so, so blown away by our youth today. And I just want to thank Jordan and Kalia for shedding such valuable insight on uh, the work that we're doing here at Youthline and being such great representatives for our Ben Lapine schools and 
and for those of you that don't know, I Hall at Bend High is so extremely crowded. You just that, <laughs> know that that's the case when we when we reference that. All right, folks. Uh, I just want to thank my guests today, Jordan and Kalia. Uh, and Mel from earlier, uh, and I just a quick shout out if if you're at all interested and feel like you could benefit from support from Youthline, uh, please check the uh, resources on our show notes uh, to get a connection to that. Or if you're even thinking about, it, you might be able to offer some of this. They're always accepting new volunteers to help service the line. And uh, you heard from Mel earlier that they do trainings throughout the year, and so we'll also include how to access that in the show notes as well. All right, uh, this is a new podcast in Ben Lapine Schools. If you're pleased with the work we're doing on these podcasts, please remember to subscribe on your podcast provider. Share them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Additionally, if there are topics you'd like us to tackle, just like we have on this one, which came to us from a listener, uh, please send us a note at podcast at ben.k12.or.us. Please let us know your thoughts. We are always grateful for the feedback. Thanks for listening to The Soup is On, and please remember to always support public education. Mm-hmm.